and welcome to another week of the Extras. This is our final week in the book of Ezekiel. We're wrapping up our series in chapter 10 and 11. Lachlan Grice here again, joined by Sam. Great to be with you guys. And yes, at the end of Ezekiel, mate. We're at the end of Ezekiel. What a, what a turn. Well done. It, it has been it. good. It has been good. Look, Sam, should we give a quick update? Last week, you were telling us about T-Swift and yeah. uh, your excitement. Yeah, as I've been saying in the book of Ezekiel, the bad news just keeps on coming. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we were unsuccessful in the pre-sales this morning. We're going to have another shot on Friday. Uh, we would covet your prayers. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll we see how we go. grieve with those who grieve and rejoice <laughs> with those who rejoice. 800,000 people apparently online at 9.30 this morning for tickets going on sale at 10. That's a lot of people online. So uh, yeah. there's a phenomena rolling through our culture at the moment. Perhaps something there as we talk about idols in Ezekiel, I don't know. Is, uh, how, what does it look like to idolise musicians? Yeah. Yep. Actually, I think of when One Direction came to Australia, they looked like some idolatry there and the reaction they got at the Beatles back in yeah. the day. I got some great footage that I used for a sermon or two at, at, at the time back then. That was great for that kind of yeah. like wild kind of screaming crowd. <laughs> if you're looking for that kind of illustration, it's a particular cultural moment. Yeah. Anyway. There we go. Is, we we go. Should, let's get to Ezekiel 10 and 11. Actually, before we get to Ezekiel 10 and 11, yes. um, this is the extras. And sometimes we get questions just on other things, which is great and fine. And we welcome that. Uh, we had some mag spots, magnification spots on mm. Sunday in our services. Yep. Helping us think about singing. Uh, and the first question that we've got today actually comes from that because uh, the different mag drivers, or at least I was at a couple of services where I heard them go to Ezekiel, uh, to Exodus 15, mm, yeah. the Song of Moses. Yep. And so let's hit this one quickly. The Song of Moses talks about uh, the horse and its driver that God has cast into the sea. Moses is rejoicing at the victory that God has given the Israelites over mm. the army of Pharaoh and Egypt. Someone's just asked... What does it mean, horse and driver? Shouldn't it be horse and rider? Mm. Who was driving horses back in the time of Moses? Um, not too sure what you're picturing there as you ask this question, whether you're yeah. thinking of what that language is conveying. Yeah. Because uh, it's it's talking about chariots at that point. Is that right, Sam? I think that's absolutely right. And so, yeah, I think I think the language of driver in that context, it's not driving a car, clearly. Um, yeah, it's not the horsepower. But no, like it's, a... it's driving a chariot in that there's quite a skill to uh, mm. running along behind a horse in a little buggy um, that you would, you know, and, and the chariots were quite important. They were huge technology in, in warfare in that age and stage. And you could have... You know, someone driving the horse and someone else shooting their arrows and other mm. people with their spears mm. and, you know, other mm. bits and pieces. And they were a huge technological advance that if you had chariots, you that's like having, you know, tanks and howitzers and, you know, mm. nuclear bombs. It's all yeah. the, that's the big technological thing of that time. And here the Lord has overcome that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the whole point that the Lord is even greater than the, the might of the mightiest army. And so, yes, yeah, not the horse and the rider, it's the horse and the driver. It's a correct, um, would you believe it? The Bible's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, if you who asked that question uh, have some more information about when you think the period of Moses is and what's going on there, do come back to us on that one. Mm. Um, on the connection of horses, actually, I mentioned on Sunday, uh, I was trying to find a picture for the spirit. Mm. Ezekiel 11 talks about the spirit. Mm. We'll mm -hmm. get to some questions on that. Yep. When you Google spirit, you just get pictures of horses. Because yeah. someone made a movie about yep. a horse called Spirit. Yeah, uh, thank right. you to the person that's corrected me. It wasn't a Disney film. Yeah, it was a right. DreamWorks film. Yeah. So, you know, 
Uh, that's good to just be honest in all that we say up front yeah, and right. get our details correct. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually look closely at the pictures. On I've, I've never wasn't seen it. Have you no, seen the spiritual? Not, yeah, not. There you go. I've not seen it either. But it makes it hard to find any other pictures. It's just pages of horses. <laughs> um, there we go. We've covered the background. Ezekiel 10 and 11. Sam, Excellent. what's the quick summary of where we went on Sunday? There? Yeah. So this is sort of uh, marking out the end of the temple vision. Um, this vision where Ezekiel gets taken by the Lord to see what's going on in the temple in Jerusalem. God, last week uh, in, in 8 and 9, showed all of the wickedness mm. that the people were doing even in the temple uh, and then began to show Ezekiel the judgment of God that would then be poured out. Uh, we pick up kind of mid-scene uh, with the Lord then um, destroying both the city and the temple by fire uh, at the hands of one of these destroying angels. Um, there's uh, further judgment upon the elders for their um, their arrogance in thinking that um, they're totally fine within the walled city of Jerusalem. And then we see sort of the, the, the most heartbreaking moment, which is that the glory of the Lord departs from both the temple and the city, uh, leaving the city to uh, to its uh, kind of destructive end. And um, yeah, um, Ezekiel sees all of this uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's awful. And yet in the middle of all that horrible news, God makes this incredible promise and it's sort of the the first fruits of a promise that's going to come out much more clearly later in the book mm, of Ezekiel mm. about God's new covenant, about mm. the the, uh, the work that God will do to renew his people from the inside out, to give them new hearts and new desires and to, to really change them uh, and to bring them back cleansed and ready to relate to the Lord in the future. Um, so it's a sort of a super dark end, but also in the midst of the darkness, this glorious promise of new of renewal that the Lord is going to do. So... Mm. That, was, that was the chapter we we're looking at. Yeah, and it yeah. needs to be God's renewal. I think that's part of what we've seen throughout. Yeah, this section of Ezekiel, humanity, we're we're stuffed on our own. We can't do anything. We need heart surgery. We need someone, God, from the outside yeah. to bring us back to life. That's it. And that's so it. it's all His promise, not anything for the people to do. But mm. He will. He will act. Yeah. He will bring life where there's death. Yeah. Uh, and praise God that He's done that for us mm. in Christ by His Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. Yep. Um, Sam, talking about the glory of the Lord leaving the temple, yep. this brought up a bunch of kind of a historical movement of God with his people, the tabernacle, the yep. temple. Yep. Uh, earlier in the narrative of Israel, there's kind of a cloud of uh, fire and smoke that represents the presence of God. Mm. And that cloud seems to be mentioned in Ezekiel 10 verse 4, yep. uh, that the temple is filled with the, the cloud, as if we know what this cloud is. Yeah. Um, now, we both explored that in different ways in our sermons. And someone's asked, helpfully, you know, was that cloud always in this temple of Solomon? Mm. Uh, did it just pop up here in yep. Ezekiel again? Because yep. when we look at Kings or Chronicles, where the, the cloud comes on the temple in that first moment once the mm. temple's been built yep. people can't approach you know it's kind of filling the temple with the lord's glory yeah and people can't come into it so yeah it clearly didn't stay there in that kind of way mm. what happened to the cloud what happened to the cloud that's a great question thanks for asking it um uh so quick quick recap on the cloud if you if you're just catching up um the, the cloud first appears in the book of exodus i think in chapter 13 or 14 or thereabouts when ezekiel uh, when ezekiel when the israelites are leaving the land of um mm. Uh, Egypt, they're being pursued. The Lord is leading them by his glory in the form of a cloud, uh, fire at night, cloud in the day. And then it kind of moves around the back and protects them, um, throws the Egyptians into chaos. Uh, the horse and the driver. The horse and the driver into the, uh, um, all get mixed up. 
and and, and it's, it becomes this ongoing symbol of the presence of God with his people. And uh, uh, they build the tabernacle, which is kind of like the the, the camping version of the temple, um, kind of the forerunner to the temple that um, as they're moving throughout their journey towards the promised land, again, when, when the t- cloud goes up, they move. When the cloud comes mm. down, they stop. Um, and uh, and then, as, as we were talking about on Sunday, uh, 1 Kings 8, a, a moment of kind of Israel finally arrived to where they are, uh, where they've been brought towards, which is the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and the, the, um, the temple's been built, and this huge cloud, a cloud of glory comes down, and it's, it's, it's a remarkable moment. Mm. Um, mm. And it's interesting, Solomon knows at that moment that even though the Lord has come to the temple, he, he actually gets it. He says, Heaven and earth can't contain yeah. you. Much, much less can a building. Yeah. Um, and yet, Lord, you've you've kind of deigned to to kind of dwell with us mm. here. There's mm. a kind of so Solomon gets the the building can't contain God. Yeah. Yet God is here. Um, and uh, and it's that, that that is quite in contrast, really, to the the elders of Israel. They think we've got the temple, we're fine because God's here. And actually, they they think God is literally mm. s- sort of contained within the walls of the temple, which is which is not correct. Um, so where, where's the cloud in the middle? Well, the short answer is um, after 1 Kings chapter 8, the mentions of the actual cloud really drop off. Um, there's, there's not a lot. We were doing a bit of work together uh, in the text uh, before we were jumping on and recording this episode. And uh, we can't see any, um, any real sort of development of that idea after 1 Kings chapter 8 and before Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the short answer is, it's not really clear what, what happens to the temple at that point. Um, I suspect, um, you know, as we see, whenever the, the temple, whenever the cloud came down, the, the sort of person asking the question is correct. Um, the people couldn't approach. And there's, there's evidence of lots of people going in and out of the temple in lots of times. So I suspect in that sense, the cloud was not sort of down in this glorious display all the time. Mm. Was it hovering above uh, the, the, the temple as it was in the tabernacle. Um, again, it doesn't say, mm. we're, we're not told. Mm. Um, does it just sort of um, drift, disappear, or does it go right down and just sort of take up a smaller presence within the walls of the temple? Again, we're just not sure. Mm. And so um, it's hard to say with too much certainty exactly where, the, where the, um, the cloud went. It's also worth noting that the cloud, I don't think, is sort of essential to the to the essence of who God is. It's, it's a visible display designed to show something to the people of God. It's, I don't think God is literally a cloud out in kind of, you know, heaven mm, somewhere. He, mm. he, he takes on um, the form of a cloud to, to, to show his people something. In, and in Exodus, that's a, it's a symbol of power and strength and, you know, mightiness. Um, and a clear way of guiding. And a clear way of guiding. It's like a pillar that can be seen by a whole big that's it. community by daytime and by nighttime. It's that's right. Both ways. And, and so if the cloud sort of... Um, if, if God wasn't manifesting himself in the form of a cloud, I don't think that means that God himself is not there during that time. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and yet it's interesting, that seems to be the image that Ezekiel is being shown in the vision. I, I take it with the knowledge of, uh, you know, Ezekiel is part of the prophetic class. He would know the, the writings of Israel. He would know the story of God being in a cloud. And all of a sudden in his vision, he's seeing the cloud leave. Um, Ezekiel would very much grasp the symbolism of this and be yeah. able to think, Oh, I know what I'm being shown here. I'm being shown that God is leaving, yeah. um, and I think that's um, that's important to note that this is within the context of a vision, mm. um, not not necessarily in the context of like did the cloud in in, in actuality. Uh, I don't know. We're only reported the, the vision, yeah, rather than yeah. the history. So I don't know. That, that sounds like a bit of a rambling answer um, to a, a really good question, but uh, the short answer to it is it's not wholly clear where the cloud was in the in between time. And it strikes me as well that we do have other moments where God is present 
not in the cloud on earth. So when God first makes himself known to Moses, mm-hmm. there's a burning bush. That there's no right. cloud in sight yep. there. Yep. We have right. other moments in the book of Judges where yeah. uh, the angel of the Lord seems to represent the presence of God in some way. Yep. So that the cloud is one form yep. of showing and symbolizing God's presence yeah. that has some particular functions along the way. It is a glorious and powerful symbol. Yep. Yep. Uh, but like you said, even if the cloud is not there, it doesn't mean that the Lord is not there. Yeah. Even while in reality he's filling the heavens and the earth and outside mm. he is the transcendent God. Yeah. It's above all and over all and through all and in all. Yep. But he is particularly present in the temple yeah. in some way. Yeah. Even if not in the cloud for all time. So more to think about there perhaps. Yeah. But let, let me ask one to you then, Lachlan, as yeah. we keep rolling along. Um, so... Um, as uh, God's glory leaves the temple and then Jerusalem entirely, um, someone's texted in saying, I guess I was expecting that his glory would return to heaven, but instead it goes to a nearby mountain. Um, is that significant in some way? Also, is it the Mount of Olives? And uh, Jesus seems to have some kind of history with that particular mountain. Um, is that mountain significant in some way um, that God's glory would come to rest on perhaps the Mount of Olives? So, yeah, we've got some thoughts for us, though. Yeah, uh, it's a good question to pick up. I think I did mention something, but quite briefly in the sermon on this. So it is the Mount of Olives Mm. that is there east of the city. I think within the context of Ezekiel, that resting is meant to represent something of God's reluctance to leave. Mm. He does love these people. We've seen that in various ways throughout. He's coming in judgment, but it's not giving him delight. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, he says. Mm. This is a sad moment as God has to, or he feels like he's being driven away by his adulterous, idolatrous people. Mm. And so it it seems to be in that context, this final look back down. So from the Mount of Olives, you can see down over the city. And God's having that last look as he's on his way out. Yep. I think within Ezekiel as well, he ends up in Babylon. So this is the same glory of the Lord that Ezekiel had seen back in chapter one by the rivers. Mm. So it doesn't stay on the Mount of Olives forever. Uh, And like we've just been saying before, God's actual presence, he is transcendent. He Mm. doesn't always exist in this visible form on earth. Yep. Uh, So he's still in heaven. And this is just a particular moment of presence to symbolize how we access him. Yeah. In terms of Jesus, uh, that's, I guess, a different question there. And it's a good thing to pick up because I think the gospel writers do reflect on kind of the reversal of this moment uh, as Jesus comes to the temple. So we notice in the gospels that Jesus, uh, you know, comes in through the eastern gate into the city, then into the temple. Um, I think that's a fulfillment of some of the Old Testament prophetic expectations. So Malachi 3 is a really interesting passage that gets picked up on in the Gospels in defining John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. So it talks there in Malachi 3 verse 1, Say, I'll send my messenger and he'll clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See his coming, says the Lord of armies, but who can endure the day of his coming? I think Jesus coming to the temple kind of fulfills that Mm. as he comes to see and refine Jerusalem once more. So he turns back up, uh, coming down from the Mount of Olives on that journey in. Mm. But then again, once he's found the temple still in disarray and said, this is not, you know, it's not the house of prayer for all the nations that I Mm. want it to be. Mm. It's a den of robbers. 
then he leaves again yep. and goes and rests on the Mount of Olives. So there's another yeah. moment of yeah. kind of God being driven out from his temple. Yeah. God in the person of Jesus doesn't get the acceptance that he should have. Yeah. As John says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yeah. And so God is again rejected mm. by the idolatrous hearts of his people mm. and leaves back to the Mount of Olives. Yeah, we're going to see that. We're doing the book of Matthew um, over the next little while at church um, in between a few other things, but we're going to get through to Matthew 24 and 25. And what you're going to see in Matthew 24 is Jesus condemns the temple for all mm. of its idolatry and the religious leaders mm. there, much like God has done in Ezekiel. And then he is going to leave the city and uh, in, in the chapter 25, um, uh, sorry, 26, verse 30, when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount mm. of Olives. So mm. af- after all that work of kind of condemning the, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, much like Ezekiel, um, Jesus then leaves. So yeah, mm. there's, a, there's a pattern being set up here of, of and that's an ominous threat mm. in, in mm. Matthew's gospel that uh, things are not, you know, that order of the temple is has had its day. Yeah. 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 All right, a couple more questions here as we move, uh, I guess, from that image of the glory and Yahweh's departure to this promise of the Spirit. Yep. Uh, this one was particularly asked for you, Sam. So okay. question for Sam. It's two-pronged, yep. double-barreled. Yep. Is the glory of the God of Israel and God in this pillar of fire and cloud, is that the Spirit? Is the cloud the Spirit? Or is that some different part of God? Mm. Um, the second part of that is, well, where does the Spirit or the Counselor fit in the Old Testament? Yeah. Um, look, uh, let me see if I can give you a, a short answer on um, the Holy Spirit in the uh, in the Old Testament. And in, um, um, is the cloud the Spirit? No, I don't think so. In in that regard. Um, uh, so, what, as we were saying just earlier, if you've been listening along, um, the cloud is a, a visible way of symbolizing the presence of the Lord. It's not actually part of God. It's not actually, the cloud wasn't God. It was just a way of showing that God was with them. Mm. Um, it was something that God used to, to manifest his presence. So, um, I think slightly different. The Spirit um, uh, did operate differently in the Old Testament. I think that's worth saying that the Spirit would come upon um leaders, prophets, kings, priests, even at times, um, sometimes uh, for a particular purpose uh, and, and then leave them again. Uh, it wasn't, as we understand the Holy Spirit coming on all believers, uh, you know, as a down payment until they are returned to the Lord in glory. Like, um, and for everyone, it just wasn't like that in, in, under the old covenant. Um, and it was very much, if the if the leader was, uh, it was the covenant was mediated through the leaders having the spirit of God and the, uh, rather than all the people, if that makes sense, which is what makes the promise in Ezekiel so remarkable is that God's spirit will come onto, and now this is pushing forward into Ezekiel 36, that God will put his spirit um, into, into all the people rather than what it had been before, which is only on particular individuals at particular times. Um, mm. And so... Uh, in that regard, I think the short answer is no, I don't think the cloud is the spirit. Um, it's just a manifestation of God. Um, uh, how did it work in the Old Testament? Um, uh, lots of different ways, but but predominantly God would, would put his spirit upon people for, for different tasks in different ways. Um, uh, it probably goes beyond the scope of this podcast to, to show all the different ways that it does mm. that. Your, your mm. whole PhD was in the spirit, mate. So yeah, yeah the one I didn't all. finish. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I do have lots of thoughts on this. I think it's yeah. it's a really significant question to ponder. Yeah. Um, so I continue to ponder this. Mm. My, my short answer from you know writing 15,000 words, that's where I got to, uh, 
is that spirit the spirit of god kind of represents god's life his mm. vitality in mm. the old testament before we know of the spirit as a separate person of god mm. only in the new testament do we find out that god is triune yep. father son and spirit yep. prior to that to speak of the spirit of god is a different way of saying this is the living god mm. in opposition to the dead idols who have no spirit yeah, so prophets like jeremiah will pick up that and as a result of that those idols can't speak because spirit breath is what allows us to speak. Yep. So, you know, in general, it's the life of God, particularly, I think, in the Old Testament, connected to wisdom, strength, and speech. Mm. So you mentioned the different leaders that it might mm. come on. Yep. As I looked at it, those are the three aspects yeah, that, that come on for the one spirit of those empowers. Things. Yeah. Yep. Um, so wisdom, Joseph, or different military leaders. Yep. Uh, strength like Samson. Samson. Yep. Speech like the prophets. Yep. I think what we're seeing in Ezekiel is probably tied to the wisdom theme of that, mm. that the Spirit is coming for obedience, because mm. tied to wisdom is our will, our desires, yep. uh, godly living. Mm. And so God pouring out his Spirit, you know, Paul will pick this up in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. Mm. We can think God's thoughts now because we have his Spirit. Yeah, that's and so I think that's part of what propels the new obedience for us. Yeah spirit as mind and will and desires within. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's helpful. So could yep. talk more on that, but there's Absolutely. the snapshot of yep. my research on that one. Yeah, great stuff, mate. Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, all right, well, last one for you, mate. Um, uh, we, we do now have the spirit, someone's mm. sort of noting, um, which seems to imply that we should be renewed as per the new covenant. Um, how is it then that we still sin and don't desire God as we should? So that the expectation of Ezekiel is... Yeah. Um, God's going to do this new work. It's going to happen by His Spirit as our hearts get just transformed mm. and renewed, and all of a sudden we're going to obey. But um, yeah, our, our present experience of life is not yet sin-free, is it? Um, and so, does it, what should we think about that? Does that yeah. mean we're somehow deficient? We perhaps don't have enough Spirit, or maybe I don't. Maybe I don't have the Spirit because I'm still sinning. Um, help, mm. help, help us just to try mm. and un, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. I think this is a really significant question and uh, in some ways this is where I want to keep pressing in research to go, what does the experience of the Spirit look like for the Christian now? Because yep. I think it's right. The promise in Ezekiel, I'll give them one heart, put a new spirit, so that they will follow my statutes, mm. keep my laws. There's yep. meant to be this whole turnaround to what sounds like perfect obedience. Mm. Now, I take it as we get to the New Testament, the New Testament is clear that the Christian life is not one of perfect obedience. Mm. Uh, in all sorts of different ways, we see that. Yep. Um, you know, people make different things of Romans chapter 7, but uh, I think you get there the picture of the ongoing Christian life, that you have these competing desires within yep. and that you do what you don't want to do now. Uh, and that's part of the experience of the life of having the Spirit but still living in a broken, sinful world. Um, what I do think has changed, though, is that now that we have God's Spirit within us, we can actually desire to obey God. Mm. I don't know what life felt like for an Old Testament faithful Israelite. Mm. I trust that to some degree our experience of this is new, mm. that the internalization of that desire is yep. a new thing. Yep. But what the New Testament encourages us is, by the Spirit, put sin to death. Mm. So yes, you've got these competing things, uh, but Romans 8 will say, I need to find the particular verse, verse 
12. This kind of picks up the big shift that has happened because of the death of Jesus and the receiving of the Spirit. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh, to our sinful nature, to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Mm. Uh, Galatians will say the same. Walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so there's this encouragement to, by the Spirit, take victory over sin. And that was the language I used on Sunday night. I said, now that we have God's Spirit, Mm. we have everything we need to have victory over sin. Not by that meaning perfect obedience in this life, yep. but certain moments of victory and mm. progress. Yeah, uh, I take it if you're a Christian, you are now, you have now conquered some sin that previously yeah. was part of your life. Yeah, that's right. That's been my experience yep. as a Christian. I'm not sinless yet. There's still plenty more sin that I'm trying to put to death. Yeah, But I am not sinning in ways that I used to sin. Mm. Uh, and I'm really thankful for that. Mm. And I take it that's the Spirit's work in my life. Um, and it might be worth distinguishing here between willful sin and unintentional sin. The Old Testament distinguishes in that way. The New Testament distinguishes in that way. I think by the Spirit we uh, work on putting to death those willful sins. And when the moment of temptation comes that we know is a moment of temptation, we're encouraged to turn to God, to pray for a way out of that temptation, which He always provides. Yep. And put that to death. Yeah, there'll be unintentional sin that only later we realise was sinful. Mm. That's a different experience. But by the Spirit, we have the power to conquer. Mm. And I hope your experience as you're listening to this has been progress mm. and some victory over sin as you go. Yeah, I think that that's progress is a really helpful word. Um, like I think desire is a good uh, good word to think about. Like I think if you've got a desire to fight sin and there's progress, those those are good signs that the spirit is at work in, mm. in you. Um, I don't think we should be looking for for total sinless perfection, uh, mm. and that, that I think is one of the mistakes that that people can can think that well, I've got the spirit now, I will be sinlessly perfect. Um, but that you desire, like it's interesting, Romans 3, when it describes sin, it's actually one of the things that is sort of part of that great list of, you know, here's how sinful humanity are, is that no one even seeks God. So the fact that you are seeking God and you mm. want to do mm. what is righteous is actually evidence that something's changed. Mm. Um, and the fact that you, when you sin, you feel bad about it, you think, I shouldn't have done that, because that, that is actually, I think, a, an evidence of the spirit being in you. Um, and like you were saying, that, that actually there's been some progress, that you are not what you were, um, that, that again is, is only possible by the power of the Spirit. Um, mm. You're not yet what you will be. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's the language um, Paul uses of, I think it's uh, is it 2 Corinthians 5 or 6, um, from, from one degree of glory to another, uh, with ever increasing glory that we are. Yeah, I trans- think chapter 3. Little 3, bit. Oh, before, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that we are, we are bit by bit becoming like Jesus until that final day when we will be like him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think. And, and all of that is, again, empowered by the Spirit. Um, yeah. Which yeah. means in terms of the new covenant promise, I don't know exactly what the right language around this is, but I, at the moment I'm using language of partial fulfillment. Mm. Like this promise of Ezekiel yes. has been fulfilled in part, yep. but not until Jesus returns will it be fulfilled yep. entirely. Yep. That is when we'll be made perfect and we'll yep. obey God perfectly. Yep. 1 John 3 is one of the verses I always come back to in this regard to go it's when we see jesus that we will be transformed to be like him yeah but because we know that's where we're headed john encourages us we purify ourselves now Mm. we know we will be pure so we get on with that job now and i think 
yep. you know, perhaps the language of the spirit as a down payment and a guarantee is picking up some of that to go, not just you have all of the work of the spirit now promising you yep. new creation to come, but actually you've got the start of the spirit's work mm. promising that he will bring that to completion yep. in your full transformation. Yeah, so I'm still wrestling with the right language there, but I think partial fulfillment. A partial fulfillment is really important. And, and it is, in a sense, um, uh, like Ezekiel, we're still living by promise. Um, so Ezekiel had this promise of hope in the midst of all the mess. Uh, everything's still looking like where, where Ezekiel was living when this, this promise was made was everything was looking terrible. Uh, opponents on every side and yet he was told the end of the story this is how it's going to end i'm going to come i'm going to do a good work and, and it's kind of knowing where it's all going actually helps ezekiel and the other exiles to remain faithful to mm. the lord in in their present experience and i think in one way that the new testament life while we're living in this age of partial fulfillment the spirit has been poured out jesus has won the victory and yet we're waiting on that day of final fulfillment we're kind of not dissimilar to Ezekiel and the exiles at that point, looking for, we know the end of the story. We know we will be perfected and we know we will see God face to face and the new creation will come and mm. sin will be forever done with. And that will be so awesome. Mm. Uh, and knowing that that's where we're going, we, we hang on to that hope and we actually hang on to God and walk in his ways now and mm. seek to be faithful where we are in amongst all the mess, in amongst all the opposition, in amongst all the enemies. Um, and yet we know where that we know the end of the story, and so we can hang on um, and be faithful to the end. Mm. And so I think, mm. um, yeah, that that's a perhaps a helpful an, um, analogy with Ezekiel. Yeah. Now, for the people, I, we've got a few questions in this regard, and I was thinking about this. And I, if you're listening and you are struggling with particular sin that you're like, why can't I mm. shift this? Why can't I grow? I want to grow more. Yep. Um, you know, there's lots that we could talk about, and you might like to chat to Sam myself in person. But I do think sometimes we expect growth in these ways without using the mm. standard means of growth yep. that God has given us. Uh, what are some of those means of growth, Lachlan? Well, across Christian history and flowing out from what the Bible teaches, it's personal Bible reading. Yep. Like coming to God and having his word on our heart day by day. Yep. Memorizing some of that scripture to internalize it. Yep. Daily prayer. Yep. Spending time speaking to the Lord and asking Him to rid us of sin. Mm. Gathering with the Lord's people. Yep. Um, and not just gathering, but together confessing our sin to one another. Yeah. So if you've got sin that you're trying to beat, but you've never told someone about that, yep. that's going to be holding you back from it. Yeah. Um, the Lord's Supper, mm. in its own way, is one of the means by which the Spirit uh, encourages us and rids us of sin. Mm. So there's five mm. common off the bat. Yep. means of grace yep. uh, by which the Spirit grows us. Mm. And yep. so if you're not reading the Bible every day, spending yep. that time with God in prayer, if you're not coming to church, confessing sin, yep. participating in the Lord's Supper, not just in a token way, but actually remembering yep. Christ in your heart yep. uh, by faith, then you know there are some things to move forward on in your yeah. fight against sin. Yeah, I mean, and can I just add, like you, you mentioned it, but can I just one John one um, it talks about confession. Um, mm. He says if we claim we're without sin, verse eight, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us, but not just forgive us, purify us from all mm. unrighteousness. Mm. And I think sometimes what happens is people have a sin that's going on and they're a bit embarrassed of it. 
they hate it, it wears them down in, internally, it discourages them because they can't beat it, and yet, because of shame and a, and a fear of sharing what's going on, they don't confess it, they mm. don't bring it out into the light, and therefore, they keep it in the darkness, and it keeps on growing, it seems like mold, it grows in the mm. darkness, and then, but they don't actually take use of God's means of actually sharing that sin and say, oh, I've done something, mm. I, I, in fact, I've, I, I keep doing something, and they don't share it, um, such that someone can preach the gospel to them and remind them that Christ died and then actually help them out of the hole that they're in um, because God gives us to each other. And so, yeah, I've had lots of conversations with people over the years where maybe t- coming to speak to a pastor is the only person they've actually shared the mm. sin with and they mm. haven't actually they haven't told their, their spouse, they haven't told their, um, their friend, they haven't told their mm. um, whatever it is. But confessing, I, I mm. think, is one of the areas that I think in our modern world we um, we steer away from the kind of rituals of confession perhaps from the catholic church i Mm. I don't have to do that and Mm. that's true we don't Mm. do it in that fashion but i think i I suspect one of our big underutilized weapons in the fight against sin is confessing sin to another and 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 calling it what it is i've done this and i need god's forgiveness and i need i need god's people's help Um, yeah yeah well that's a great place to end our discussion not just today but in the book of ezekiel because this promise of the spirit is huge Mm. uh it's the big shift from old to new testament Uh, there are many big shifts there with jesus coming but you know we now have god's spirit poured out uh we have the same spirit of obedience in us Mm. that enabled the lord jesus christ to live a life of perfect obedience it's his spirit in us that went through all of that obedience so let's as a community keep putting sin to death by the Spirit and encouraging one another in that journey. Uh, And I hope this encourages you to go and take victory over sin in your life as you honour the Lord Jesus and live for the glory of God. Uh, What a wonderful time we've had in the book of Ezekiel. Thanks, Sam, for all of your labours. Likewise, Uh, mate. Well done. Thanks, church, as you listen for all of your labours, your questions, your study and growth groups. It's been a great term. Uh, We're going to take a couple of weeks break from the extras and be back with you uh, as we kick off in the book of Matthew next term. So we'll see you then. See you then.